Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? It is at? a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pre and Eric Scope on the show as always. And today we are recording the mailbag. And so thank you for submitting your questions. We've got uh, – we had to actually – turn away some questions and save them for maybe next week because we've got so many uh, and and so many that were really good questions uh, for us to dive into. If you're listening to us on the podcast form, thank you. Make sure to give us a review. We really appreciate that. And if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, thank you. Uh, we're, we're trying it out and the results are coming in and they're pretty darn positive uh, in terms of what we're getting from a reaction standpoint on YouTube. So it looks like this is something that we're going to be expanding on and doing more of uh, in, in the future. Okay, Eric, uh, let's dive into this because I'll be honest, we've got a football press conference that we got to be at in about an hour and we've got seven questions we got to jump through. So no, no more of the uh, getting everyone ready for the show. Yeah, let's jump right into it because you're right. We are a little time-pressed. First one from at CK Quack. I assume nothing of consequence will happen at the spring game, but barring injury, God forbid, what would be the most significant thing that could happen? The game uh, getting canceled because of COVID? Oh, gosh, <laughs> Matt. Uh, yeah, that would be the worst, and I hope that doesn't happen. That would, that would really suck so much because there hasn't been any – we haven't had any sort of negative – we've heard nothing about COVID impacting spring at all. Right. So, so if we get turned away on Saturday, that would be the worst case. No question about it is we don't get a spring game at all. So like, let's cross that off the list. Um, like I'm not even thinking negative consequences here. Like I'm thinking positive. So like, what would be the most significant thing? I think it would be to come away being like Oregon has a quarterback and we think that quarterback is really good. Yeah. Uh, just because that's been the question all spring of like, okay, what's, what's Oregon actually have here. And it seems like from everything we've heard, Anthony Brown is, is, is you know, kind of stepped up and, and is that guy, but we want to see it. And we've only seen one scrimmage a couple weeks ago. And, and I don't know how much you want to take away from that. You can definitely take something, but not everything. I mean, I thought um, Butterfield had the better day of the, of the three quarterbacks that participated in the scrimmage. You saw more of the practice right. part because I was at a baseball game. Um, but I walked away thinking, Butterfield had maybe the most consistent practice. Uh, Ty Thompson had the best throw. And I thought Anthony Brown was probably the safest pick uh, of the three guys that played. Yeah, and you know, you know what I'd actually really like to see from Anthony Brown is some success downfield. Yeah. Um, because I think that's the area where Butterfield and, and Thompson at least showed that they could do the most and probably the area we saw the least from Anthony Brown. And maybe it's unfair, but I, I can't get – that image out of my head of I think it was Devin Williams running down the sideline for wide open, open touchdown, yeah, and the Fiesta Bowl and he missed him. And I think there was a pass to maybe Micah Pittman or something as well in that game that was off. So like I, I want to see those sort of completions. I think I think quarterback is the most significant regardless. And I know whether or not it be Anthony Brown or somebody else, maybe it is Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson or Robbie Ashford comes out and has just an awesome game. Um, and that totally changes the dynamic and conversation. Like, I don't think that's totally out of the realm, but like, I think 
more than likely it's going to be Anthony Brown showing well. Like, I think what happens to that position is going to be most significant, almost regardless of like everybody could be really good and that would be significant. Everybody could be bad and that'd be significant. And maybe one or two guys stand out and that'd be significant. So for me, it's all quarterback. That's where I'm going to be focusing my attention. I agree. I agree. It, it, it so much can of the perception of a program, the trajectory, the percept, you know, perceived trajectory of a program, what they're on um, can be decided upon what you think you have at quarterback. Like, if, if Anthony Brown comes out on Saturday and just absolutely dominates and has a really good performance, I'll be the one to say it. I'm sure you would be uh, be in line with me, and we'll see it from a whole bunch of other people out there that yeah. will write about the fact that Oregon looks like a playoff contender. Oregon looks like the clear favorite for the Pac-12 championship for a third straight year. And all of a sudden, the hype – and the excitement skyrockets. And if Anthony Brown, maybe Anthony Brown plays lights out 14 of the 15 practices um, in spring football and then comes out on Saturday and has just a oh-hum type of performance, fair or not, we're in the media and the fan base, we're all going to gravitate towards that, whether it's fair or not. And there's going to be this perception around the program that maybe the quarterback job isn't, one yet maybe they they aren't solidified there like we maybe thought hoped they would be at this point and maybe you have some doubts maybe not necessarily that they're not going to win the, the, the Pac-12 but maybe you're thinking now like boy the playoff discussion was we can't have that right now until we see some growth at quarterback because what we saw in a public setting was not was not up to snuff fair yeah. or not yeah then there are other things we can talk about, and we, we should note we had a podcast yesterday with a bunch of storylines on it yeah. that I think kind of assess some of the other things. But like I think for both of us, quarterbacks, the the big kind of element to, to right. get figured out. And again, if, if someone's really good or someone's really bad, I think that'll that'll matter quite a bit coming out of this game. All right, next one from at nk underscore McDonald. What's one lesser known player on O and on D that could surprise Duck football fans this fall? I love these questions. We kind of talk about kind of the under the radar guys. Um, Let's just start with offense. Um, I think there's quite a few guys that kind of jump out here, but I think, and you know, lesser known is kind of like subjective of who's really all that well known. But like, I still think the tight end position, there's a possibility that somebody. Spencer Webb. Like, I was going to say, other than DJ Johnson has a really good season, and Webb was where my head was going. Like, Webb could be a guy that, not to steal your thunder, but he could go from within the fan base being someone who's viewed as, oh, ton of potential, breakout guy sure. 19. You know, he had that huge touchdown catch in the opening game against Auburn and Dallas that went viral and, and all of that. And maybe he explodes and turns into an all-conference caliber player at the tight end spot. I think the thing with Webb, which is weird, which is why I paused, was lesser known. I feel like he's really well known at this yes. point, but he hasn't really proven it. So, so like my thought is that he does go out and prove it because I think that tight end position is, is remains pretty open. And like we'll tie this to the spring game since it's coming up. I'll be very curious to see kind of who's the first team tight end. DJ Johnson didn't take part in the scrimmage that we were at um, that left Patrick Herbert and Spencer Webb with the first team. Is that the case in the spring game? Who's like what's kind of the pecking order there, and then who steps up? Because I wouldn't be surprised. And it sounds like Matt's in the same boat, same boat here that uh, if Spencer Webb ends up being the guy and ends up having a really strong season, we know he has all the physical attributes as a pass catcher. Now it's about putting the rest of it together. Um, somebody else on offense for you, Matt? What about Chris Hudson at yeah. receiver? 
Yeah. Like so much is made about Pittman and Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson and then Devin Williams last year. And now that's the true freshman coming in and, and Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin. Whereas I look at Hudson and he, he played quite a bit last year as a true freshman, will be another freshman again in 2021. And I mean, he had a huge catch from Jay Butterfield to get the second team offense to the one yard line in a two minute drill. Uh, he had that 97-yard touchdown pass and catch with, from Butterfield in the second scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows where he, who, where he plays? Is it inside the slot uh, behind Jalen Red, or yeah. is it on the outside behind like a Micah Pittman or a Johnny Johnson? But Hudson was a, a highly regarded recruit coming out of high school, and you know so much focus is on the veteran guys and then the newcomers, and we're ma- kind of maybe. As a, as a fan base, maybe looking overlooking his significance as a recruit and what he, I mean, he was on the team last year. He had some, some, some positive moments. So I would also say maybe a, a Hudson uh, type guy. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Lineman. Like I want to pick a lineman, but it's tough to do that. Well, they're all really well known and, and they're not going to surprise people because they're not going to hear their names called unless it's with like an off, you know, holding right. penalty or something. People just don't pay attention to that unless right. it's like a Penne Sewell. And there's no Penne Sewell under the radar guy on this year's team. Um, I like Hudson as a pick too. somebody who the staff was really high on last year who just didn't really get his quote unquote big moment. I think right. there's going to be an opportunity for that um, defensively. Maybe it's just because he's been the hot button name the last couple of days, but I keep thinking Triquiz Bridges and maybe DJ James, both of those two guys just at corner because obviously there's going to have to be a fill in for Diamador and you know, for a really long time, it was Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenore at corner and then Michael Wright entered this, you know, the picture in 2019 and kind of transition was natural. Now it's finding that other guy, and, and I think between Triquez and DJ and James being the starter, probably um, one of those guys is going to be somebody that we hear their name a lot this year. Um, like, and I like lesser known is sort of again, like it's kind of I'm not sure who knows like who's the most popular, least popular players in the team. At the same time, like I feel like between Triquez and DJ, there's enough kind of mystery around those two that that they kind of qualify and I think those are two players that could be big surprises and I guess the third one for, for me would be like someone like a Bennett Williams maybe just because I think he's somebody who's really talented who there should be some opportunity with him this year but we again I don't think he's like a household name quite yet defensively I there's two guys on the d-line that I'm looking at Braden Swinson um he was a guy that I thought was really impressive and limited snaps Last year as a true freshman, played in seven games for Oregon, um, had a couple tackles, but I mean, he was playing behind a group that had Austin Folio, Jordan Scott, plus the returners and Brandon Dorless and Popo Amave, and haven't even mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau yet, um, Keon Ware Hudson, Christian Williams. So playing time was hard for him to get on the field on a consistent basis. But now that two of those guys are gone, one of them which plays his position, uh, Braden Swinson could be kind of that guy that could maybe emulate what Brandon Dorless did in 2019, where Dorless was a guy that played in 10 games. You certainly saw the potential. You certainly saw the production. It was just like, hey, this is a guy that he just needs more reps. And then in 2020, he got those reps. And now we're talking about him like, hey, he's a bonafide has to play guy going into 2021, probably a starter. Yeah you know, on NFL radars already, uh, Swinson could be, you know, kind of following that path. Like 2021 could be, door, you know, the 2019 doorless version of that, where in 2022, we're talking about Swinson sliding right in to replace Kayvon Thibodeau type of a type of a deal. And then 
The other guy I'm looking at is Christian Williams, um, defensive yeah. tackle. It's yeah. good. A guy that's started over Popo Amave. I mean, Popo has played in a ton of games, but hasn't started in his career. And Christian got, I think, the last two games of the year started over Jordan Scott, which was pretty interesting to, to see that. Um, he's played in 10 games in his two years, will be a redshirt freshman again in 2021 with an opportunity to win an, to win a job. And c- it could be his for however long he wants it, you know, for three or four years. So, you know, I, I think another guy to look at is Christian Williams along the defensive line. Yeah, I like both those guys. I think Christian's somebody who's got a ton of upside and you kind of started to see some, the fan right, base right. familiarized with him, but the upside there is, is really big. All right, third one from at Jesse Zimmer. As a football of Oregon, sorry, sorry, as a fan of Oregon football, I can't stand the USC Trojans. I also don't like the national narrative that the Pac-12 needs USC to be great in order to win big. So my question is, what's it going to take for that narrative to go away? Does Oregon or any other school need to win a national championship? Five, ten, hashtag odds and audibles. Thank you for responding. You guys are the best. Uh, thanks, Jesse, for the question. I mean, if it takes ten national championships for the conference <laughs> to gain respect, like that's that's pretty out of whack right there. I would think like a couple would would totally change the narrative. And honestly, like I think if, if Oregon makes the college football playoff and can challenge and compete with those teams and, and heck, maybe they win a game and play for a championship, that would be that would change the landscape a lot. Cause like the reality is right now, we just haven't seen the Pac twelve compete with the big dogs on the big stage very often. Yeah. Um like and like it's not college football playoff related, but like Oregon playing well against Ohio State in like six months is huge too. Like you, you, you have to be competitive in these big games because like it or not, I think the narrative right now is Oregon is, is good enough to beat like teams eight through 25 and, and on in like the rankings. Like they're, they're capable of beating those teams. You go out there, you put them against the Auburns. People are like, okay, they can match up there. You put them against the Wisconsin's, they can match up there. The Iowa State, I know they lost that game. It wasn't particularly competitive, but they can match up there. It's when you when they're you have faced to win. but yeah but it's but it's when you're faced against the Ohio States and Alabamas and Clemsons that they haven't really proven that they can beat and compete with those teams quite yet um and so I I think the Ohio State game is huge for that in terms of winning a national championship yeah that would change the narrative and I still think while like Oregon would you agree with this Oregon's probably like the most recognizable brand in the Pac-12 Probably from the younger fan base of college football and the recruiting standpoint, from rec- from a recruit standpoint, uh, older fan base, older media, no, it's still yeah. USC. But I mean, I, I certainly think Oregon is like, air quote, the sexier program. Yeah. For for the recruits and for the younger fan base, like. You go to Georgia, you go to Texas, you you go – I mean, shoot, you go to Seattle and you see Oregon gear being yeah, sold yeah. In, in shops. And it's more popular. There's more Oregon stuff than there is USC. USC is – you know, their gear is everywhere too. But I think there's more of a prominent showing of Oregon stuff than there is USC. Like USC will always be king – um, from the older fan base in Los Angeles and in the deep area. But Oregon has really made a, a dent into that. They've, they've gone in really hard and have created a, you know, a big recon- you know, recognizable brand. Um, I, I do think Oregon as a standalone program can carry the Pac-12 um, and be the, the school that, you know, oh, the league is good because Oregon's good. But 
the fact of the matter is, is they, they haven't won these huge, you know, marquee preseason games. You know, the Iowa State Fiesta Bowl game did not help. Yes, they beat yeah. Wisconsin um, in that game, but Wisconsin doesn't have the same cachet as right. Ohio State or Auburn or LSU. Um, and, and so you need to be kind of one of these teams that have won a national championship before and kind of in a relevant time period, too, to really get, you know, the just, you know, recognition and reputation that, you know, you're talking about. I, I look at Oregon and just back to the original question. Um, it's no, there's no doubt that a quote unquote, like new blue blood, like a, whatever you want right. to call it. Like I look at Clemson in the ACC, it wasn't long ago that they were kind mm-hmm. of a laughing stock and not very good. And now they basically define what the ACC does every year. And that's because they exactly. played for and won national championship. So like, I think for Oregon or the conference to get there, it doesn't have to be USC, but somebody has to step up. And Oregon feels, I think, pretty clearly like the, the, the team to do it right now, just based on recruiting success and winning the, the conference the last couple of years and then what they've done in, even in non-league play. So, like, I don't think it's unrealistic that that can happen. Is it – what's the number of national championships? I don't think it's five. I don't think it's ten. Like, I think I think competing and, and, and just proving yourself to be competitive on the national stage will do it. And I don't think Oregon's – that far off, but they really need to take advantage of their opportunities the next handful of years because they do have some big signature games. Like, let's say Oregon does – they they play in one of these New Year's Six or the playoffs, you know, in the next five years. And they make all of them, whether it's a playoff game appearance or they get to the Rose Bowl when the Rose Bowl is not in rotation for the college football playoff or the Fiesta Bowl – when you know the Rose Bowl is in, is in rotation for the playoff, mm-hmm. and let's say they you know so that would be like five I mean that seven straight years where they've now made you know one of these major bowls or college football playoffs, and if they win like three of those or four of those over the seven year period, then yeah we're gonna get what what you're asking like everyone's every year is gonna go in and say Oregon's a top five team top ten team. And every year, regardless of who they have, who they lost, they are a college football playoff contender and they carry the league. Like that's one way to go about doing it. The other one is the easiest and quickest path is to get there and win it. Yeah. Maybe not the easiest, but that's, that's the one that's, that's how you change the narrative for sure. Or if Oregon wins a national championship, everything changes. Yeah. All right. Next question from at puddles dog. I love this question. If you could turn one Oregon coach back into their former player selves, which coach would you want playing for the Ducks right now and why? Hashtag odds and audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag. A lot of people did use the hashtag today, which is great. Um, <laughs> I think this is an obvious answer. I think Joe Salavea yes. would, would be the person that I would want playing football for Oregon. He I think suited up in a, in a Duck uniform like last year and looked the part. I was going to say, I feel like you put him out there right now. He might be your starting nose tackle. Like <laughs> He is. I mean, how many times has Cristobal joked about like, having to ha- suit up Joe Salavea because he is huge and athletic and just looks the part. I mean, and you play at the NFL. Yeah. Right? It's an NFL player. I was trying to think of who else even has that caliber. And like, I don't think it's that close. Like who is even the next is Mario Cristobal, the next guy. Like, is that the next person you think of? I mean, that's somebody who at least was won national championships in college played offensive line. I, I'm, I'm running through the list here going like, it's not like Oregon has one of its all time great position players on the roster, you know, like mm-hmm. as a coach. Um, like, it might be cost, Mario, but I, I think the obvious one is Joe Salavea. Yeah. I mean, 
we'll have to find this somehow and share it on social media, but there's literally a video or a, a photo of him. He, he fully suited up for a photo shoot, I think with a recruit that he was recruiting that was on campus at the time. So it would have been pre COVID. Yeah. So 2019 time period. And it, he looked like straight up like a regular player. <laughs> Not regular. Cause he's like 400 pounds, but like he, he, he fit the mold. He looked the part. part. Looked the part. All right. Uh, I love that question. I thought that was fun, but I thought like, I think we both had a pretty obvious answer. I don't know. Like maybe Mario is probably the second pick. I, I I'm racking my brain thinking like, I don't know what like Brian McClendon or Rod chances or Ken Wilson's playing careers looked like, but I don't think they really compare much right. to what Joe Salavea did from a professional perspective. So there's another one. Uh, fifth one from at Duck for Quacks. As we continue to get more and more wildfires, what do you think are the chances the university is considering adding a dome to Otson to keep games <laughs> from being canceled? Hashtag Otson Audibles. Hashtag it would never rain in Otson Stadium. I like the second hashtag, and it's true. If you put a dome in there, it really never would rain, and then Don Essig would be like immortalized for the accuracy of the fact it never does rain. And Right now it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because it, it does, but – um, there were plans at one point to build Austin Stadium with a dome intact, in which would be really weird. I don't know if I like it. I don't like college football for whatever reason. Like pro football doesn't bother me in a dome. In a dome, but throw in college football in a dome, and it just doesn't feel like all the way there. Well, I think it's part of it is, is is one of the cool parts of college football is you go to Pullman, Washington. You have to be like in the elements. And if you put a dome on all of these places, you take away the element part of it. Like going to Pullman in November is a tougher game than it should be because it's it's like freezing, you know, 15 degrees and there's snow on the ground and it just sucks to be there. I did that um, this year and it was not fun for the yeah, Matt, football there, season. There you go. Matt knows. So like if, if there was a dome there, it would have felt a little different. And obviously not where you're staying, but like in terms of being at the game, it would have felt a little different. So like, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't love the idea of a dome. Um, like in terms of the wildfire part, I think that's sort of legitimate. Like, I mean, we don't want this isn't a, uh, this isn't the weather channel podcast, Oregon ducks. This is like, you know, a football related podcast, but like, it hasn't been Oregon yet, but I, I do, again, like, I think we mentioned this in the past, like the Oregon-Ohio State game obviously didn't get played in 2020, but the wildfires were peak, were at their peak level last year during that time. I mean, we were wearing like gas masks and, and not leaving our, our, our houses. I don't know if that game would have been played. So it, I do think, especially September and October, there's a possibility this just gets worse and worse and it does get problematic. So like, I think, I mean, there's like legitimate question of like, would it make sense to do it because of, the wildflowers and then there's the like the aesthetic part and i think we both agree the aesthetic part doesn't make sense and i don't know if i don't know what it would take to get to the point where they are actually building a dome maybe they want to get ahead of it because they, they see it happening but i would imagine you'd have to actually have real games canceled or postponed we'd have to see like years upon years stacked together where this really impacts things um yeah. like the data it, the data right there right now is not there to justify a dome from a smoke perspective. I was going to, yeah, I was going to say like, I would think if you were like Berkeley or Palo Alto or Los Angeles, like one of those places would put a dome up before you, before Eugene, Oregon. Because and because of smog, more, it would be, exactly, it's so much more prevalent down there. Yeah. It'd be smog, not fire, fires, but nonetheless, uh, it, that would be an interesting dynamic um, to see Austin with a dome and not sure I would like it. I don't think I, I don't think I like it. I, I don't like it off the top of my head, but we'll, well, hopefully we never get there. Retractable right. dome. 
maybe it just sounds fancy i don't i still don't like it i just don't like the idea i'm with you for some reason i don't i can't put my finger on it exactly but i'm with you like i don't like domes and college sports it just doesn't yeah. seem like it fits seems like that's the pro stuff yeah um and, and i want to distinguish as much as possible all right uh next one from at windy tree 503 over under of two and a half five-star players signing with oregon football in the 2022 class even with short numbers slash scholarships hashtag odds and audibles matt that's like three five stars to go over. Obviously, we know how the under works. Um, that's a pretty under. significant number. Yeah, I was going to say under too. You would know some of the names better, but I'm kind of going like Oregon did hit the over on this in, in 2020, but that took a lot of things falling into place. And even in 21, the best class ever, it's a strong under because from a 247 sports composite perspective, it's it's zero. So three is a huge number, Matt. Like, uh, like let's just say hypothetically, like how, what are – like, how would they get to three? Could they get, can you even see a path to three? Um, maybe Tanner Bailey, who's, I mean, that would be such a huge jump though. He's 205th. Yeah, I would say he's in the 200s right now. He's like in the, way in off. the country, you know, moving up into four-star status. I mean, they're, they're probably their most likely outcome to, to get a five-star right now is Kevin Coleman or, Territorio McMillan, uh, both receivers. Um, Coleman's already a five-star. Yeah, he's high, he's right high on Oregon. Um, McMillan is a top sixty player, and from California, and he's he's high on Oregon. So maybe one of those guys, you know, committing and, and moving up into the world and and becoming a five-star. Um, and I White, a defensive end who's planning on officially visiting Oregon, is 39th in the country. Um, maybe Oregon can can push their way and, and he has a really good year and that happens. Um, Josh Connerly is a five-star offensive tackle from Seattle and Oregon is in there in that mix with him. And Kelvin Banks is another five-star offensive tackle from Texas that's uh, planning on, on coming to Oregon for an official visit. So, you know, maybe you get one or one of those two guys and then uh, maybe a couple of your commits move up. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing, I could see two without a doubt happening. Um, but seeing three at this current stage where things are at, that's, that seems like you're hoping for, you know, a, a shooting star to fall your way, no pun intended. Um, to, to land and, and things just perfectly go your way. Like that just like Harold Perkins is coming for an official visit, the 12th best player in the country. Like he's coming for the, the Oregon state game um, outside linebacker from Texas. But like, I just get really worried about guys that are Texas or Georgia or Ohio. Yeah. You know, five-star guys and coming to Oregon. Um, There's no track record. It's yeah, all West. It's, it's guys very hard. It's not happened, I don't think. No, no, I don't um, think any. I don't think anybody. Four, West every five-star guy that signed with Oregon is someone that's that's come from the region, and yeah. so you you kind of have to look at okay, now where are the guys that are in the region that fit this criteria? And you know, if you told me two, I would say that's probable. That probably is good. If you told me three, I, I'm not on board. I think the only other thing that could give Oregon an outside chance is just that the strange peculiar nature of the last year and maybe the maybe some of the 
reevaluations and some of these right. kids changes a lot. And a guy like Bailey, who you mentioned, maybe they'd realize, Oh, we had, yeah, he skyrockets and they hadn't seen him enough or somebody else that's ever already committed or someone that's a top target. But I'm with you. I think that seems like a, a pretty high number, Matt. I'm going to toss another question in here because we're, I'm getting real confident, maybe a little too confident that we're running through this quick enough. So here's another question from at, March Madness 83. This was not in the show notes, Matt, so get ready for this one. Jefferson's Mookie Cook was recently offered by Arizona and Kansas. Oregon hasn't signed a PIL player under Altman. Moser from Grant doesn't count as he was a transfer. How are the Ducks looking for Cook's recruitment? Hashtag odds and audibles. For those unfamiliar, this is potentially like the best recruit in the state's history from a basketball perspective. He's going to rival Kevin Love or like Kyle Singler for that sort of distinction. Um, You know, Oregon... The Portland area has had some really good players come through it, but it sounds like Cook might be the best one. Matt, like Oregon's name's not really attached right now. It's really early on. I think he's 23, class of 23, so yeah. there's some time here. Um, what do you think? Is we're going to factor into this, or is this just one of those things where a kid is is going to end up probably playing on a blue blood or even going pro because that's a possibility too? Yeah, that's the, the last one there. That's like my biggest fear is Mookie Cook um, out of Jefferson, 6'6", wing, uh, 14th best player in the country, fourth best small forward in the country, 9955 um, composite score. He's going to have the potential to go to the NBA. Like right. that, that is going to be a possibility. Um, and then, by the way, the NBA might be changing its entry rules by that. Right. So that might be a possibility. He's like one of the first guys to do it. Right. He would, I mean, to, as of today, his ranking today. Uh, on the 27th of April of 2021, if he were to commit to Oregon, he would be the third highest guy ever to commit yeah. to the Ducks. Bull Bull being one, Malik Harrison being two. Um, he would just edge out Troy Brown by like one one hundred thousandth of a point. Um, but Oregon's in there. Like they are going to be a major player. They will be one of the finalists. I would be shocked if they're not. Um the issue is, is they're going to have to reestablish. I mean, they don't have to reestablish, but his best contact, his best relationship forged uh, with Oregon staff was with Tony Stubblefield. And yeah. Stubbs is now right. at DePaul. Um, so they're going to have to, you know, kind of not reestablish, but just, you know, bring in the new face to, you know, and things will be good again. But, you know, Oregon, Oregon's here. They're the player, you know, Arizona and Kansas offering are big, but, don't sleep on the G League Ignite. Or like you said, the NBA by this time, when he yeah, makes has to make a decision, they might have changed their their requirements to, to go to the NBA. And, and if that happens, then all bets are off, really. Like, Because I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, when we see that happen, it, it'll happen at, at some point in time. That's where things are going, where high school athletes can go pro again. Um, to right to the NBA. And when that happens, I think for the first couple of years, we're going to see just waves of guys declaring because they think they're there and they won't be. And it'll take some, you know, course correction time to get there. And, you know, Cooks will be a guy that would justifiably so. I think he's worth looking at going pro. Um, but the answer, yeah, Oregon will be a player. Um, are they the favorite right now? It's too early to say anyone's the favorite. Um, but Oregon has recruited them. They, they're really interested in him. They like his game. Um, they offered really early on in the process, uh, you know, it, and now it's just getting him on campus, getting him to 
to Eugene for unofficial visits and being around the program and program has to win too, you know, keep winning and keep elevating themselves. But, you know, they'll be, at, they'll be there through the thick and thin of it. All right. We're going to wrap it up with this one from at Johnny, the K what does the entrance to the transfer portal of three experienced guards say about the state of Oregon women's college basketball? In other words, what the heck is going on? Um, we're this, recording this, this shocked us. Yeah, we're recording this a day after Taylor Mikesell added her name to the transfer portal. Um, she joins Taylor Chavez and Jazz Shelley as three perimeter players who've all left since the conclusion of the NCAA tournament a couple weeks ago. Um, like Matt said, I, I, I had anticipated and expected and kind of heard to be prepared for Jazz Shelley and Taylor Chavez taking off. I think that was you, those that watched the season closely, especially the last couple months, it was pretty clear those players had kind of fallen off. I don't want to say out of favor because that sounds sort of unfair, but they their, their minutes they, were they, they were out of the rotation a little bit. Yeah, their minutes their minutes were kind of falling by the wayside a little bit. They weren't getting as much opportunity, and so like, hey, both talented players, both opportunities with quite a bit of eligibility. Go find a place to play. Chavez is going back home to the state of Arizona. She's had some family things to deal with. That's some of that's been reported online. You can go check up, take a look at that if you're curious. That made th- those made sense, you know. And, and Shelley's from Australia, and if she's not enjoying her time here, why not go find some other place? Um, Mike Sell was really surprising, um, in part because I believe she might have to sit out the 21-22 season because of the NCAA rules because she's transferred again in two, two times in two years. So I, I think she has a chance to like put in for a waiver. Yep. But it was kind of surprising she made that move with that perspective. And also because I had heard from a couple people I trust shortly after Chavez and Shelly took off that there really wasn't an expectation anyone else would leave. And if they would leave, the name I was told was not the player. It was not Taylor Mike. So it was somebody else. So this one was really pretty surprising, um, you know, and I think in the midst of seeing so many coaches leave for good reason. I mean, Mark Campbell offered a head coaching job at Sacramento state, take the job and Javi Lopez and his wife wanted to follow him because they're really close friends. And for, for Lopez, for, for Javi, it was a, was a step up in, in position. You know, he's an associate head coach as opposed to being an assistant coach. Like all of this makes sense. And they want, and they're building a staff. Minion Moore's on their staff at Sacramento state. So like, I think that makes sense. And I know Mark Campbell played a pretty sizable role in, in getting Taylor Mike sell and Lopez was another person involved. So it makes sense that like, maybe she's looking around after that, but this puts Oregon in kind of a tough spot here. A, they need to go refine, you know, they need to go get some coaches because right now they are, basically down to Kelly Graves and, and Jody Berry, who's been like an assistant coach with Graves for a couple of decades. They need to go find a couple of assistant coaches. They need to replace the director of basketball operations. That was what um, Megan Lopez was for uh, a handful of years along with her husband. So there's some, there's some jobs to, to fill. And then I think they do need to add a transfer. That was not, and I have a podcast with Kelly they Graves that was up about a week ago. And like, he was like, I feel good with five guards. As long as we got five guards, we're good. Now they have four guards and I, they're going to go try to find another one. And again, the first step is finding the assistant coaches to go do this. The next step is going and finding another guard that can play and, and help right away. Um, what the heck is going on? Like three transfers isn't exactly a crazy, crazy number, especially given the year Oregon had and the roster numbers that they had prior. But like, I do think the fact that this was somebody who pretty clearly they expected to be around and they're not around, that's, that's sort of significant. And I don't think there's like a cultural issue in place, but you don't love when you see some pretty high caliber players like Mike still started almost every game this last season. And the other two started a lot too. 
decide to leave after a season, it, it sort of leaves a weird taste in your mouth. And I'm expecting that Oregon will be really good in 21, 22. I want to make that clear. I think they've got a really talented roster, but now they have to go find at least one more perimeter player who can, who can score and, and maybe not even have to be a starter. And, and maybe, maybe this opens it up for Matty Shear to really take it over and to be, uh, you know, to fill in there. And, and that's not a bad thing, big picture, maybe, but um, I can't help but think this is this is not exactly the intended outcome of this offseason as Oregon is now down three guards and, and they're going to have to find somebody. And that's a place that I don't think they thought they were in a couple weeks ago. So like where. What type of a guard? This is where I get I get stuck with transfer. And um, yeah, like, do you want to go out and find. Like a minion more. Someone that you just instantly know they're starting. Like they ha- they they are so good that they have to start. Or is it better to roll with okay? Let's let's just say that you know Maddie Sure, Sydney Parrish, and Tahina Pow Pow will be your starting guards uh, for the upcoming season, paired with Nira Sobley and Sedona Prince. And now the idea is let's go find maybe a younger player who you know still is in development, or go find a, a grad transfer who just you know, I'm okay being the sixth man and I want to make the tournament type of a deal. Like that's where I get really conflicted about what they should do is like, do you look at, do you look at pow pow? I think pow pow is bonafide star. Like she's your point guard for the next three years or as long as she's out of Oregon. Um, Yeah. And then Maddie sure. And and Sydney Parrish, do you look at those two and say like, those are the guards that we're going to roll with and they're good enough to get us to a Pac-12 championship and back to the final four? Like, or do you say you need to upgrade? Yeah, it's really hard to tell with those two just because the minutes haven't been there. And to say that I feel that they're like final four ready with those two being yeah. the primary off guards is kind of a big leap because you can say what you want to say about Mike. So I don't think she had a great single season in, in Eugene. She was no. really streaky as a shooter. wasn't great defensively, turned it over quite a bit. Um, so like, I'm not saying that you're going to be downgrading a significant amount, but in, talk, in terms of getting to that next level, I, I do think you have to find at least another player capable of challenging those two. Cause I, I as good as Maddie sure was at the end of the season. And, and I really, I'm like in the camp of saying, I thought she was great, especially against Georgia defensively, you know, in terms of distributing the basketball, but she couldn't score the ball. And I think I now look at this team and go, they really need to find a shooter and they need to find some more perimeter scoring. Um, Say what you want about everybody that's outgoing, because I think there were certainly flaws for for all three players. But at least you know that those players could kind of go get you a bucket. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm kind of looking at this group right now, thinking there's not a lot of players I look at that say I can go get a bucket. You know, like Taylor Bigby and Maddie Shear are probably better defensively than offensively, and Tahina Pow Pow and, and Sydney Parrish and Angela Dugalich are probably better offensively. But, but like I haven't seen enough from those three to really feel like great about their ability to just go get a basket. So like I think that the, the the thing you want to find in this is someone who can score a basket, someone who can go get you a basket, someone who can spread the court from three point range. I know like those three players that are leaving were supposed to be your dead eyes along with Aaron yeah. Bowley this last season. Those were supposed to be our three point shooters, and it didn't turn out that way because all basically all of them had ba- you know up and down or to, to below average shooting seasons. But I think you got to go find a shooter, and you got to find somebody who can kind of handle the basketball and be a, another primary ball handler because for again so Michael had faults but she could at least do that for you so um, I expect them to be pretty active here in the transfer portal I don't think there's really any prep prospects to look at maybe they'll find another Juco um, that's not impossible but I, I would imagine this is going to be a, a grad transfer slash transfer that can play right away that that can fill in and I don't know if she's a starter but 
she's at least somebody who can contribute and be a part of this rotation. I also say like, hey, maybe it's not terrible that you're going to roll with Pow Pow, Sheer, and, and Parrish for the, 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 the long term and go, hey, this is year one of what's going to be three years of these three guards working together in the backcourt. And by the senior year, the continuity is fantastic and you keep adding around them and they're really good. So like, there's that part of it too. I don't think this guy necessarily has to be falling. I don't think, I mean, Taylor Mike Schell's not Sabrina Ionescu. Like she's a, a, a very good college basketball player, a really good shooter. But like, I don't think it's impossible to think Oregon can't get somewhat better by just adding another piece that fits a little differently with this group. I also wonder if Mike Sell's transfer is in part because maybe Kelly Graves had a team meeting and said, Hey, look, we're, we're shifting our offense from, you know, fast pace, you know, freewheeling and dealing three point shooting, you know, like we've seen under Sabrina and the last couple of seasons to more of a high, low, you know, half court type of a game with their two best players, Sobley and Prince, like, like two, two players that are six, five or taller Prince is six, seven, and you're going to have a clear advantage from a height perspective. And those players are really good. And maybe it's, Hey, like we're going to, we're going to change our, our playing style a little bit to, to fit the roster that we have currently constructed. And Mike Sell looked at it as like, Hey, I was coming here thinking, you know, we were going to be up and down super fast. And this is me totally spitballing, but yeah, you know, speculation. not what I was, you know, anticipated playing. And I don't want to be, you know, stuck in a corner to hit threes when the, the ball gets kicked out and, you know, I want an up and down game and it just doesn't fit her anymore. Maybe that's a, a possibility as well. Yeah, it's speculation. Unfortunately, the unfortunate part of that is, Matt, like I actually think she's better off just sitting in the corner catching sure. open three than she is something else. So like I hope she's not miscasting herself thinking something differently. But I don't know. Like I, There's certainly a possibility that she kind of took a look and thought, huh, this isn't quite what I thought I was getting into when I came out here last year and, and let me go I've got more time and eligibility let's go find another spot and no ties to the region as well from originally right. from Ohio so it's not like she's from our back you know Eugene's backyard and, and it's somebody that has ties here she it makes sense for her to be one and done if she wants to be one and done at Oregon it's gonna be interesting to see play out see what they go after who they target um because like you said I, I'm in agreement they need a guard now that the depth requires it because if an injury happens now you're in a really tough spot and you don't want to go into a year where if an injury happens, you don't have a replacement sitting there. Yeah. I mean, it might yeah. be a case where, Hey, they're not ready, but we at least have someone waiting in the wings um, for one injury. But if, you know, right, right. now if they get hit with one injury, they don't have enough. And, and they just, they just saw last year what happens with yeah. Pau going down. It's not good. So exactly. yeah, they, they need some depth. No question. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And thank you for everyone sending in your questions for the mailbag. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, Hey, give us a review, hit that subscribe button. It's free. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, also, thank you. Check, thank you for checking us out. Uh, also hit that subscribe button. Give us the like button. Um, we're going to continue doing more and more of these and we'll see more and more of this. And we're working on an official channel as well. So that's, that is in the works. Uh, it's going to take some time to get that all set up and, and good to go. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries showcasing real-life tragedies. What about with your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. 
never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+.